Okay, welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz, trying not to be too flustered because uh, Adam and I were sharing kilt anecdotes before we got on there, so... <laughs> oh, if only we recorded everything we talked about before and after this thing, it'd be a whole nother show. Uh, it probably wouldn't be a show at all because uh, <laughs> it get, gets a little blue... Sometimes. Two hours of kilt etiquette, yeah. Also a little sweary sometimes. Oh, well, there's that too. Yeah. <laughs> I'll save that for the podcast, right? Yeah, you can do you can do explicit stuff on the podcast and no one writes letters to the CRTC. Yeah. You know, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good point. There is that <laughs> there's that whole wow. Bill Bill C eleven jive anyway. Soon enough we'll be saying whatever the blank that we want on this show, probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, fingers crossed, but I doubt it. Open Source is a CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. You can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be the newly elected, or I should say re-elected, MPP for Guelph, Mike Schreiner, who will talk to us about his future plans, how he will deal with a bigger fort government, and his... Uh, how he's going to approach the fact that he is, and uh, I think history will bear this out, the real opposition leader at this moment, the official opposition leader. Because uh, as we're going to talk about in a second, uh, there, there ain't no number one or number two. Anyway, uh, that will be at the bottom of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about some of the news items from the last week, including the war in Ukraine. Yes, it is still happening, and it shows no signs of ending anytime soon. And we're going to talk about the latest there. But first, as I alluded to at the beginning, there was an election last week. Uh, I believe we were we went off the air just as um, th- there was a few seats left outstanding uh, last Thursday night. There was, but it ended up eighty three for the PCs, thirty one for the NDP, eight for the Liberals, one Green, and one Independent. Uh, also. That evening, both Stephen Del Duca and Andrea Horvath announced their resignation. Um, and so that's uh, why when we, we come around to Mike, we'll talk about how he's essentially the official opposition leader by default, since um, no other elected uh, leaders are, are in the legislature right now. But uh, I mean, you got to say, uh, if you like Doug Ford and you like the progressive conservatives, these are definitely great times to be alive they're, they're even talking about prime minister doug ford now if you've been following that news who's they huh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> them them well i have to say and you're going to talk to him but mike was probably one of the winners because anybody's in the 50 percent zone mm-hmm. is a winner i think mike had the largest percentage but was it joel harden had the most votes mm-hmm. a contender for the ndp leadership i would imagine i have no doubt joel harden would be um might be able to get them on one of these days, actually. But anyway, yeah, so uh, conservatives won. But I mean, in my view, lots of people lost, not just Del Duca and uh, Horvath and their parties. 57% couldn't be bothered. Mm-hmm. So when you factor that into this so-called landslide, uh, like that's it's kind of sad. And to me, it wouldn't to me, it honestly wouldn't matter who won this. That's mm-hmm. a terrible, terrible turnout. Now, are we? I, I mentioned this on election night, whatever, like, are we burnt out? Um, our pal Nora uh, Loretta was writing in the, in the maple saying that, you know, 
folks are pretty much disenfranchised with the whole thing uh detached from it just it's like the narrative was well doug ford is going to win so did a lot of people just phone it in but also losing like the conservatives more seats they lost almost a half a million votes Mm -hmm. the liberals liberals lost the least it was like something like twenty four thousand, <laughs> and they gained a seat right so mm-hmm. so this is it's kind of topsy-turvy stuff with this the amount the decline in the vote sort of changes the the seats and the arrangement and everything in this i'm thinking musical chairs more so but the ndp <laughs> ndp were the biggest losers just in terms of sheer numbers Eight hundred thousand votes gone and where mm-hmm. did they go mm-hmm. they didn't go to the liberals right so this is yeah uh they went somewhere so they really need to examine where they're going still the official opposition and still what was it 32 seats but it just shows you how out of whack um our system is when you when you think of those numbers and compare it to the seat count it's just like really mm-hmm. um but sticking with seats for a second too and the ndp i mean and again we talked about this on election night was how many of the true orange writings went that's significant. Mm-hmm. Down Windsor Way, Timmins with Gilles Bisson. Um, you know, there was a few solid orange places. The Hamilton one was a bit like, well, you know, there was shenanigans there. It wasn't a straight loss, but still a loss. So, yeah, if anybody's going to have to do the series, well, and the liberals too. The liberals are in the dumps. Mm-hmm. They're literally in the basement still. That's not even official status, eight seats, right? So, no. Although, uh, strictly speaking, uh, Doug Ford could be magnanimous in victory and say, okay, if you have eight seats in legislature, you can be an official party. But I highly doubt he's going to do that. That doesn't doesn't seem to fit Doug Ford's brand. And Um, I did get in touch with the um, independent we were talking about on election night, Bobby Bobby Lynn Brady. Oh, yeah. I think I blew her name there. Uh, But haven't heard back yet, so... We may be on the bottom list. It's actually a very interesting story, but we'll save that one. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a complicated story uh, mm-hmm. to be sure. Um, and also one of those things that it can, one of those, it can only happen here stories. Um, but to, you know, it wasn't all, you know, doom and gloom for the NDP that like they had the one sort of flip Chandra Pasma in Ottawa, West Nepean flipped a, a progressive conservative seat. So, I mean, uh, the flipping did not entirely go one way, which is, I guess, the the proverbial silver lining. But I, what I found was interesting was how quickly the knives came out for Andrea Horvath. You have Sherry DeNova um, saying that she should have stepped down in 2018 so that the party could have gone into this election with um, new leadership. I mean, I, I don't know how much that would have helped, um, but I think the die was cast in terms of whether or not Andrea Horvath could generate interest. Did she really, people just, just didn't care for her as leader. And, and I mean, when you're talking about voter turnout, and by the way, with the voter turnout, as it was uh, something like 18% of Ontario's population or the uh, eligible voting population, 18% um, have endorsed the PC. So like, there's your mandate. They have 18%. <laughs> support Mm -hmm. once you count everyone who didn't vote as well so i mean it that's that's not exactly what i call a mandate of course doug ford is gonna um rule like it's a mandate but yeah it it is fascinating 
just how quickly the knives came out for Andrew Harvath. And I was looking at the list of uh, people who also ran in uh, the liberal leadership campaign because Stephen Del Duca won. The, 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 you know, but also uh, he came in second was Michael Coteau. Well, Michael Coteau is now uh, he's, he's now a Fed. He's now a federal NDP. Kate Graham. Kate Graham lost her race, but uh, she's not an uninteresting figure. Mitzi Hunter. Uh, she's back. You know, at least if you, you, you know, you, you make Mitzi Hunter your leader, you may get eight seats, but at least one of them would be for the leader. Um, so it, it's, it just, it looks bad all over. I mean, say what you want about Andrea Horvath, but at least she won her seat, which is more than you can say for uh, Stephen Del Duca because him choosing a seat where he lost so badly. And frankly, it was fairly predictable. He was going to lose that seat um, just shows like, I mean, that's kind of the proof of his own internal bad judgment that, you know, he ran somewhere where he was only going to lose. And because, I mean, he, he wouldn't have the time, time, effort and energy to go door knocking in a riding like that because he'd have to be other places around the province. So just it was just bad decision making all around. I, I think like, one could argue on both <laughs> both parties. Yeah. Did. <laughs> and but that, that's his home riding, though, right? Like, sure. So maybe but, he was trying to, yeah. Rather than jet across the province somewhere, for, but he lost it once, and mm-hmm. <laughs> he was already beaten once. <laughs> Yesterday's man, right out of the gate, right? That's. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But so I thought it was interesting that we're seeing some of the narrative, and it's probably true that, that you know this is the new Doug Ford, right? We're seeing the new Doug Ford. He is probably. Well, he's upped his game mm-hmm. from the last time. The the mm-hmm. comparative is like, it's, I don't know if he t- took the specific course or whatever, but his, it's, there's been a change up there for sure. Mm-hmm. And, but one of the things he said in election night, which I thought was funny mm-hmm. was we're going to make sure we keep every single promise. <laughs> mm. These are the things that you should not say. They all do it. Uh, because, you know, you can keep every single promise until you can't. Mm-hmm. There'll be some excuse, be it COVID or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so will it get done? <laughs> well, there's a cockiness to that, too, right? Um, yeah. Which I understand he won a second term. He, you know, um, he has, as I said, there are people who are going around. Saying, well, if Doug Ford could win Ontario, why couldn't he win Canada? And, uh, you know, he, he's, he's explicitly said he's not running in the current. I mean, he, the, the eligibility is over, but I think people are already looking past poor Pierre Poliver to the next leader of the Conservative Party. Uh, the other thing it, to that, though, and I was thinking a lot about this, there are a lot of mirrors between Doug Ford and Stephen Harper. Um Stephen Harper also in his when he won his first election was sort of under this cloud of dubiousness that people he won with a minority government granted but a lot of people sort of put an X beside a conservative member's name on like okay let's see what this guy can do we've had enough of the liberals we need something else we need someone new let's see what this guy can do and eventually and it, it was 5 years later in 2011 he gets the majority government so he proves he he can govern that he's can be at times moderate um or at least that he can sort of stifle the 
the crazy right wing edge of the party and be more generally appealing. So he goes into that majority. He wins that majority. But then what happens? It becomes harder and harder to keep the crazy down. And mm. and that's when bad, like it sort of bolstered the bad decision making. That's when sort of the bad decision making starts happening. I'm, and I'm, I'm saying this as a warning to Doug Ford. Um, don't get cocky. Um, yes, you won. And it's in part because of a very Harper era strategy of uh, limited access to the leader, getting everyone else in the party to shut up. Don't go to debates. Don't go to uh, media availabilities. Just shut up. Knock on doors. We'll get you there. Uh, and and it worked. Well, what happens it, now is the question. And I think Doug Ford's got to be weary when he gets up and he says, we're going to keep all our promises. It's like, mm, not so fast because uh, that's, that's the cockiness talking. And it, yeah. it, that's where one gets ruined. Stick to that teleprompter, big guy. Yeah. yeah Cause that you've, you've touched on it. The it's the link between those two is mm-hmm. Corey tonight. Right. Mm-hmm. He ran that campaign for Harper, ran this one for Ford. I can't remember if he ran the last one as well, but that's why we saw those tactics of not talking to the media unless you absolutely have to and you're cornered. And if you're cornered, then the cops will take you down, which happened. Yeah. There are lots of things that happened during this. It's at, at other times would have been like, can't believe this. Yeah. But that is what happened. Sean O'Shea getting roughed up. Kamaya, Kareem Asad. Uh, getting arrested mm-hmm. after having an invite. And I think the cop was Lecce's brother. I'm a relation. I'm not sure. Anyway, I don't want to get too deep into that, but it's like, those are things that like, in normal times would happen and people be with, this is not rage, but is everybody just beaten into the submission right now in the post? Well, it's not the post COVID area. I era scratch that. I, I don't mean that the, yeah. <laughs> uh, Whatever the hell this wave is. <laughs> the pre-post COVID era. Omicron going into monkeypox tail end. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so I just don't think that things were catching people's imagination all good or bad, right? Like what's yeah. what's the big thing? The 413. You want us to all get excited over you're gonna put a highway in? Mm-hmm. Whether you agree with the highway or not. Is almost an aside, but like the selection is oh, it's over a highway, mm-hmm. uh, or well, the, the ring of fire you can see in that that kind of speaks to the, the Ford appeals, the working people, which I wrote about and other people have talked about too, uh, which was something that was definitely taken for granted, as you can see by the numbers, right? That, and that's sort of been in the NDP post game yeah. analysis too. And this, I, to be fair, it isn't really something new. I mean, you go back in time in Ontario. Ontario was blue for years and years and years. So this is, it's not like all of a sudden, you know, the workers went NDP and then they went back to blue. I don't think that's it at all because you have, still have to factor in that magic 57% number of people that just didn't bother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and first past the post too, which is a dumb system. Mm-hmm. Proven again and again, it's, it's, it's flawed. It's deeply flawed. Mm-hmm. But you can't run on that either. You can't run. Well, <laughs> say proportional representation. People go, what? I, yeah. I don't vote anyway. Why would I go if that was the case? Like, well, right. your person or, or party might have a better chance of getting in. Right. Oh, we don't care. <laughs> well, speaking of a flawed system, uh, the war in Ukraine is uh, pushing on uh, latest developments. Uh, well, the word torture chamber appeared in 
uh, articles this week. Uh, 600 people were detained in so-called torture chambers in the uh, Kherson, the southern region of uh, so- southeastern region of the Ukraine. Uh, many of those people were then later sent to jail in Crimea, which is uh, has been Russian territory for years. Um, there have been attacks on. I'm going to butcher this town's or this region's name. Siva Siva Rodonesk. Siva Donetsk, um, yeah. Siva Donetsk, thank you. Um, but apparently that is still not under Russian control because uh, Ukraine is putting up a pretty decent fight there. Um, last week, the EU uh, announced that they are going to be working towards sanctioning 90% of all Russian oil exports by the end of this year. Hungary got a carve-out uh for pipeline oil since they get 60% of their oil pipeline that allowed um, Orban, uh, Viktor Orban, the leader of the Ukraine to not, or the leader of, of, of Hungary, I should say, to not uh, veto it. Um, this I found interesting. Since the end, since mid-April to, I guess, whenever they did the calculation, uh, Russia has only gained 450 square kilometers in Ukraine which is about one third the size of the greater London area. So they've been pouring resources into this war. And in the last month or in the last month and a half, I should say, they've only managed to secure 450 square kilometers. And so uh, when the economist wrote that this is a, basically a war of attrition now, that kind of gives you an idea of uh, just how attritionable the situation is if that's not a word and i don't think it is but that's okay it, i mean it is now i guess but yeah attrition is definitely the key word in this because it, it is at the point where the russians are just throwing everything there's been you know shots of the bombed out fields you know does it make sense to throw that much artillery at, at a at a wheat field i don't know mm-hmm. uh and also the just devastation of towns a lot of people probably saw that picture of the uh, students that went back to their bombed out school and had their formal there just just awful stuff uh and that you know that's you know not the worst of it obviously um sometimes i think we they kind of show these softened things on the news a bit like and you know the good news stories i suppose like the um plane load of refugees arriving in uh new brunswick uh so but yeah it's some of the talk has also turned to uh resources because as we know um, Donetsk is an area that's mostly coal and it it's a place that fueled the growth of the Soviet Union which is what brought in uh, Russian speakers and Russian people to that area so this is what the battle's over is it over the coal? I don't know but so, it was interesting today that uh, Zelensky was talking about how they're going to they're already worried about the heating season because it will be on, upon them soon enough mm-hmm. and of course he was talking about they're switching to domestic gas and coal and they're not going to export anything. So of course he kept talking about thermal capacity and that's, you know, never in, in a situation like this, your, any aspirations you may have had for carbon footprints or whatever just goes out the window. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, coal going to stay there, but also the, the battle, one of the large battles going on, that's not the military aspect of it is over grain and grain supply. Mm-hmm. I trying to get grain out. I guess there's some diplomacy going on involving Turkey and Russia, but, Weirdly, Ukraine isn't at the table. Uh, so they're, they're, it seems to be they're trying to do this deal about getting some of these thousands, millions of tons of, of wheat and other things out of there. But yet there's just so many like 
roadblocks and and physical things too like the the mining of the ports of odessa that just the stuff can't move Mm -hmm. so it's come to this and also there was a grain terminal destroyed in uh severed in that that, or sorry it's mikolaev i think one it, it was one of these um funny enough the chinese road and belt initiative had built this place (laughs) <laughs> so if you're going to piss off, let's say somebody who seems is maybe your ally a little bit more so than the West would be China. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure uh, they weren't very happy when this uh, facility was trashed with the uh, Russian current Russian technique, as you said, of attrition, but uh, just bombing everything. I just can't really say back to the stone age anymore, but just sort of flattening everything. It's like in that, Oh, we won. That's like, you won. What did you say? 450, 450 square kilometers. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, it's more than that. Like the Russia has, uh, and this is from sort of analysis done by foreign intelligence agencies, but like 58% of its pre-war strength, they've lost 58% of their pre-war strength. And that was like at the end of May. So it's probably fallen by a couple of more points since then. Um, they had these battalion uh, battalion groups that went into the war with like 600 men in them. And now some of those groups are now down to 60. They've lost a third of all their tanks. Um, and uh, apparently like several dozen Russian aircraft have been downed as well. And of course, there was that flagship, um, the Moscow, uh, mm-hmm. that was sunk in the Black Sea. So... Um, the, the Ukrainians are saying that uh, 31,000 troops have been killed, which is about uh, how many soldiers America lost in the Vietnam War by the end of 1968, which uh, is incredible when you start thinking about those comparisons. Uh, are, are we kind of looking at a Russian Vietnam right now starting to look like it? And that's for the, the, the thing with Turkey. I found that interesting because the other day, uh, Russia walked walked out of a UN Security Council meeting because they were being accused of essentially trying to starve the world um, by you know their their actions and preventing um, <clears throat> preventing grain and other uh, you know foodstuffs being exported out of Ukraine, which as we know is you know, Russia's breadbasket. Um, Sorry, so- Ukraine's bread, yeah. Breadbasket yeah. of Europe, yeah. Not the breadbasket of Europe, Europe. Russia Europe. wants it to be, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that, uh, the, you know, it, it seems like maybe a face-saving measure, which is, like, I mean, it's a pretty minuscule face-saving measure because, again, Ukraine is not part of these discussions between mm-hmm. Russia and Turkey. But it does seem like a face-saving measure, which is interesting. I, we, we've had all these examples all through the last 105 days of, uh, th- these sort of little micro things that say that the pressure is getting to Russia. And maybe this is another one of those things. The, the question is like, when do all these small fractures finally give in? And when does, you know, Putin finally say, okay, enough's enough. Or is, is he ever going to get to that point? Because there's all rumors and things about how his health now and how he maybe had like cancer surgery last year. It's, it's it's all very like we're we're like really in the fog of war phase with this thing now. Oh yeah, I mean he isn't regardless of what they do with the uh, the media there. He's not looking good. Mm. He just that's just that's a given. You can't dress that up, right? So who who knows what's going on there? We'll probably never know, right? What's yeah. maybe find out eventually. But yeah, it's I mean the, the, those are the 
those are the options. It's either going to be Putin is removed somehow or expires in the middle of this, or this, uh, you know, the battle for the Donbass just keeps going on and on. And it's, you mentioned Severodonetsk back and forth. I mean, the last that I had heard was that it was under Russian control, but that may change by tomorrow. So it, it is this tit for tat stuff now with certain towns and villages and areas, just a back and forth of, you know, Ukraine holding the line and the Russians coming like it's, it's, it's at that point. And I'm not sure. I think the goal for the so-called victory <laughs> for Putin was going to be the taking back of the, of the Donbass. That was the original goal. Um, you know, you could argue had, had he done that straight out of the gate rather than the big attack, figuring that the Ukraine was just going to fall. Things mm-hmm. may have been different, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not a, obviously not a military strategist, but <laughs> The whole the whole approach. Well, I mean, he's. It, it starts off with, "Whoa, no, we're not going to invade them," and then they did. So it's like you can't believe you really can't believe anything that comes mm-hmm. from that side of the fence, right? Mm-hmm. You just can't. Well, the thing of it is too that you know, Severodonetsk. Um, they're now the way it sounds on the ground. There is the way it sounded about Mariupol for weeks and weeks and weeks, which is that they had uh, the resistance kind of pinned down in, in an industrial area in a factory to be specific. And that seems to be where this is all going. Now they have the, the Ukrainian forces pinned in these industrial areas of the city. And then, you know, is this how we're going to do this in the long term, where we corner the, the, the Ukrainian forces in one portion of the city. And then we spend weeks and weeks and weeks as you know, very slowly the numbers in, in, in these like strategic positions dwindle. And, you know, this is going to be a years long effort. If this is the trend is if like every time you get to a city, you pinch the forces until you get them into one place and then wait weeks and weeks and weeks. I mean, that's, that's an insane military strategy. (laughs) If, I mean, it's, it's great if maybe you want to fight a war for the next decade um, in order to get the Ukraine. But I mean, I, I can't imagine that is something that Putin wants. And it's not something that the Russian people have a taste for either. No, especially if there's nothing left, right. And it's, it's, it's cleansing of, of the, of everything. Yeah. Not just ethnic or whatever you want to call it. It's, it's just, it's, it's, a complete erasure right so yeah. uh it, it's anybody's guess right now as to where this is going to go right absolutely but at least the nuclear de- uh the radiation detectors at chernobyl are working again so that's good news uh we're going to take a quick break <laughs> hopefully uh, we're going to take a quick break and then come back with uh mike schreiner still the mpp of wealth you are listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio.
was our Royal Cat Records pick of the week. Royal Cat Records, 21 MacDonnell in downtown Guelph. Number nine from the CFRU charts. The band is called Joyful Talk. The album is Familiar Science. And that track is called Stop Freaking Out. <laughs> Instrumental, yet sage advice for these days. 100%. I try. I try and take that advice. I wake up in the morning and say, stop freaking out. So hard. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he brats all around. <gasps> oh, Way yeah. to bring it down. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, so we thought it'd be fun, interesting, uh, informative to invite Mike Schreiner onto our show for this first post-election edition of Open Sources, and he agreed. And uh, I know he's been getting a lot of press attention. In fact, um, ours was one of a number of interviews that he did today, because as uh, as noted, he is the last man standing on the opposition side of the bench in terms of leadership. So uh, he's got a lot on his shoulders these days, a lot on his plates. And uh, those plates are spinning on poles and he has more poles than hands. And this uh, metaphor has gotten away from me. So (laughs) why don't we (laughs) let Mike Schreiner speak for himself? Uh, Let's throw it to uh, the interview I did with Mike Schreiner uh, earlier today. And uh, we'll press play on that starting right now. Okay, Mike Schreiner, thank you for joining me today. Hey, it's always a pleasure to join you, Adam. And to, to begin with, congratulations on on your reelection. Uh, I know that a lot of uh, people in Guelph are are pleased to to see you return, and uh, they are not all necessarily green supporters. You you have made a lot of friends in the community, and I think that was clear from uh, from from uh, the election and a lot of the people who came out to support you. Yeah, well, th- well, thank you for that, and I just a lot of gratitude for people here in Guelph. Uh, for showing their confidence and trust in me. And, you know, I will definitely be going back to Queens Park with a strong commitment to, you know, being a voice for this community and delivering on the things that I I think wealth needs moving forward. And also, you know, I think people want me to make sure I hold government accountable as an opposition member in a responsible and effective way. And and I think the fact that I, you know, I, I had the highest, winning percentage in, in, in the province, the highest, or I should say highest margin of victory in the province and the second highest vote total, um, you know, you know, says a lot about, I think, just how hard uh, and I've worked, but I would say my team has worked. Like I have a really good uh, constituency office team who, you know, I, I, I always tell them it's like, we are here to serve the people of Guelph and you will go to bat and we will work hard to make sure every individual who comes into our office um, that we, we serve them to the best of our ability. And, you know, so I think, you know, the election results really reflect a team effort. So aside from the, the value of team, what other lessons have you taken away from, from this election? What did Mike Schreiner learn in the last 30 some odd days? Well, I think one is that um, the Ontario Greens have a lot of momentum. Uh, This election was really the first time we had an opportunity for the vast majority of Ontarians to really see the Green Party as a major political party. The fact that we were in the debates for the first time, actually the first time in Ontario history, there were four leaders on the debate stage, really gave us an opportunity to 
you know, just for the first time, show people what our vision, our values, our policy priorities, our approach to doing politics, all things that I think people in Guelph uh, certainly support. And, and I think you'll see more people across the province uh, support our vision and way of doing politics. Um, we were the only, the four major parties were the only one that actually saw our vote share go up, not down. <laughs> uh, even the conservatives with their, with a strong majority, actually, the, the number of votes they received actually went down. Uh, but I also learned to be, you know, if I'm going to be quite frank and honest, Adam, how hard it is uh, to build a fourth party. Uh, you know, we, we thought that we had a really good chance of electing a second seat in Perry Sound, Muskoka, and we came you know, incredibly close, um, just a few percentage points um, in second place, but, but it wasn't enough to get us across the finish line. You know, we had strong showings in writings like University of Rosedale uh, in this region, Wellington, Halton Hills, Cambridge, uh, Kitchener Center, Dufferin Caledon. Uh, but, you know, we still have a long ways to go in terms of pushing candidates in those writings over the top and electing additional greens. And, you know, so obviously I'm spending some time over the last few days, you know, meeting with my team and talking with a number of people about what the election results mean and how we move forward. And the final comment I'll make, and this is really not partisan in any way, is I think all of us, and I would say every political party at Queens Park, everybody engaged in the political process, we need to figure out why we had the lowest voter turnout in Ontario history in this election. Mm -hmm. and, and I know some of that's related to the pandemic. I know some of it's related to the fact that it wasn't a change election and you tend to see higher voter turnout when people want to want to change government. But the fact that turnout was so low and so few people really engaged uh, with this election campaign, I think gives all of us, or it should give all of us, you know, pause and time for reflection and, and what it's going to take to make sure we better engage citizens in democracy. Mm -hmm. Although I would point out Guelph had a little bit better voter turnout than we had one of the Robert. highest in the province as yes. usual. <laughs> yes. And I always say to people, one of the reasons I love living in Guelph is we have such a politically engaged community and, you know, people really, care about Guelph, they care about each other, they want to engage in politics. We have, you know, rigorous debates in Guelph. I think all that's healthy for democracy. So um, yeah, Guelph, Guelph certainly did better than most of the rest of the province, that's for sure. Uh, but still, even here in Guelph, um, I think we have some work to do to, to, um, to address why such a, you know, large number of people decided not to vote this time. You kind of mentioned um, the woes of the other political parties and and building building the Green Party, um, getting some more attention. I think that is probably going to happen. Uh, you are returning to the legislature as the only elected member or the only elected leader of the opposition. Andrea Horvath did win her seat, but she is, of course, uh, stepping down as leader. Um, are you feeling like? There, there might be some pressure on you. I guess maybe like it's, it's not an official thing, of course. Whoever is appointed interim leader of the NDP will serve as the official opposition leader. But I mean, through a lot of optics, I think uh, Mike Schreiner looks like the official opposition leader. I mean, is, is, are you feeling that pressure? I, I sort of feeling some pressure and the opportunity, quite frankly. 
uh, given the number of media interviews I've done since <laughs> like 6 a.m. on Friday morning, uh, and, uh, there are a lot of uh, people in the media really turning to me for, you know, my, my, my thoughts, uh, what the next legislature is going to look like, what priorities are, you know, my, the, the approach that we're going to take. And, and so I think that will certainly continue. So yeah, I feel a bit of the pressure, but, you know, I think anyone who gets into politics, if you can't handle a bit of pressure, you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong uh, profession. And then I, I would say, but some opportunity as well, because I think it will give me an opportunity to continue to build on the momentum we saw coming out of the leaders debate, uh, where, you know, for the first time, a lot of people really connected with the Green Party and really understood what the party is all about. And we're hoping to, to build on that momentum going into the legislature and the fact that I will be the only elected um, um, opposition leader uh, who doesn't have interim before their name uh, will, <laughs> will, you know, will, will probably, you know, give me a little bit more attention than I might have otherwise. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, looking across the, in your mind's eye, of course, because the legislature isn't back yet, but looking across the aisle at 83, conservative MPPs, you know, Doug Ford coming back uh, with a stronger hand. Um, does that, is that going to make your job easier or harder in terms of getting the attention for, for the issues you want? Um, you know, uh, I, I guess one can look at it from both ways. You, you, you know, the David versus Goliath, or <laughs> I don't know, how are you, how are you feeling about that? Yeah, there are a lot of people have used the David versus Goliath analogy uh, with me over the last <laughs> few days. So you're certainly not the first in that regard. Uh, you know what? I, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat things. I mean, obviously, the conservatives have a very strong majority, though I'll have to say that it does raise significant questions about our electoral system that, you know, somebody can receive 40% of the vote and really only receive. Um, the vote of about 18% of the electorate, mm-hmm. uh, given the low turnout and have such a commanding uh, majority and essentially have 100% of the power really raises serious questions about whether, you know, our legislature really reflects the democratic will of the people of the province. That aside, um, yeah, it's not going to be easy. There is no doubt about it. And so I think I'm going to, I'm looking at it in, in three ways right now. So one is, you know, I'm going to continue to work across party lines, particularly to deliver for uh, my constituents here in Guelph and to really be a strong voice for our community at Queens Park. And part of that is, you know, is working with members of the conservative caucus and, and you know, ministers once they're appointed to really make sure that the interests of people in Guelph are heard and that, you know, we continue to, you know, receive the kinds of supports uh, our community needs. I feel like I did an effective job of that over the last four years. We'll continue to do that. At the same time, you know, I think I have a special role to play uh, to really hold government accountable and be a strong voice for the, you know, 60% of Ontarians who did not vote conservative, uh, especially um, given the fact that I, I'm not a, one of the two interim leaders. And, and I'm going to play that role. And then I think the third one for me, which is which is something that is my approach to doing politics, and people in Guelph certainly understand that, but I want to ramp this up across the provinces, is we're going to have to have some grassroots uh, citizen-led movements on some really key issues that I will continue to help 
you know, catalyze, lead, organize, and amplify their voices in the legislature and in the media. And I think especially when it comes to protecting farmland, wetlands, and nature, addressing the climate crisis, and fixing uh, the significant gaps in our systems of care, especially in, in our healthcare, long-term care, mental health uh, care systems. And, and so, you know, I've already started having conversations with citizen groups and other, other organizations uh, in the province over the last couple of days about, you know, what role that the Ontario Greens can play in helping to mobilize citizen movements uh, to, to stand up on certain issues. I, mean, I think the Stop the Sprawl movement in particular, uh, which is really bringing together unique coalitions of people uh, to protect farmland, wetlands, uh, nature. Uh, you know, I think I can play an important role in helping to engage and mobilize those citizen-led efforts and to amplify their voices at Queen's Park. Mm-hmm. I guess that leads into something else I was wondering. We've talked about this before, about how in the past, uh, the Ford government has been malleable to public pressure to a certain extent. And I guess going into this new legislature, Again, uh, appreciating that uh, the, the mandate that Doug Ford has, are, are you foreseeing that um, Doug Ford maybe can still be uh, pushed in, in different directions? Or is he going to be maybe um, more firmer in, in his ideology now that he's got, uh, got this mandate? Well, you'll have to ask him that question to get the definitive <laughs> answer, but I'll tell you, I am going to work hard and I'm going to try the best I can uh, to work with people in this province to make sure their voice is heard and to make sure that we really protect and defend the people and places we love in Ontario. And, and I'm, I'm going to, you know, roll up my sleeves and put a lot of long, hard hours of work in. Uh, both at Queen's Park, but I think just as as importantly or even more importantly in in community, um, really mobilizing people. And, and, you know, we're going to give it our all and, and, you know, we're going to force the premier elect to have to make that decision. So are are you already thinking about where like areas where you can work with the government and um i I guess what 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 kind of areas are you thinking about where there is some overlap where you can you can work with them they can work with you uh on on different issues yeah i think one of the first ones for me will be uh support for uh, mental health care and addiction support um i have a good working relationship with the former associate minister michael tabolo who's come to guelph on more than one occasion to meet with members of our community. And so there are certain things that I really wanna deliver on, uh, particularly funding uh, for youth wellness hubs and our permanent supportive housing projects. So those are two top priorities for me, for Guelph, uh, that I'm you know, cautiously optimistic and confident I can work with government on. Uh, the other one is uh, Guelph General Hospital. So right before the election, we received the announcement of $15 million in funding for the first major renovation at Guelph General in 20 years. And, you know, you know, Ted Arnott and I have worked very closely together on that because a lot of his constituents <laughs> come to right. Guelph General Hospital. And so I'm very confident that, that um, the MPP Arnett and I will continue to have that really good working relationship. 
uh, because there is so much overlap between what his constituents in the county need and the kind of services they access in Guelph. Uh, so I think those two in particular will be really important. Uh, the premier in his news conference the other day seemed to give an opening that there might be room to reconsider the wage restraint legislation on particularly frontline healthcare workers. And so that's an issue I'm going to push hard on whether or not, you know, the government's going to reconsider bill 124, which caps wage and benefits increases at 1%, uh, which is, you know, essentially a pay cut. Uh, when inflation is 7%. Right. Uh, and so, you know, we're going to see if we, we can push on that because I know that that's going to be critical for the quality of care people receive here in Guelph in home care, uh, at hospital, primary health care, and in long-term care as well. And so, you know, I think, I think those are really, you know, top of mind uh, priorities for people in the community. The final one I'll say is, is on housing affordability. Um, all the parties, all four parties said they, you know, were committed to the target of building 1.5 million, million new homes over the next decade. All four of us had very different pathways to get there. So uh, I obviously, you know, strongly disagree and will oppose the Ford government sprawl agenda. But I'm hoping that maybe we can find some ways to work together on ending exclusionary zoning so we can create more housing supply within our existing built environment and more housing choices and options for, for people, either existing homeowners or people who want to buy homes. And also um, our plans around intensification along transit corridors, particularly to build more affordable um, rental uh, housing uh, are areas that, you know, I'm hoping there's some alignment with the government on because it is such, it's such a crisis and we all recognize housing affordability as a crisis. And so, you know, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to work hard to see where I can push the envelope on it, on a number of those issues. And then the one that, that has me the most worried, frankly, is just addressing the climate crisis. Um, you know, the Ford government has a, you know, an atrocious record when it comes to dismantling uh, efforts to uh, reduce crush climate pollution and their systematic dismantling of environmental protections. And so that's probably the area that I'm going to have to fight the hardest uh, against the Ford government's agenda. I mean, the fact that we had three pretty significant climate events during the RIP period, during the month of May, you know, the significant flooding in northwestern Ontario, um, Kenora, Rainy River area, obviously the storm that hit southern Ontario and really nailed Uxbridge and, and, and Ottawa region. And then the extreme heat days that we had at the end of the month, uh, all are indications that like we are experiencing the climate crisis right now. And so, you know, uh, doing anything and everything I can to wake the premier up to the fact that we're not only going to have to take transformative actions to significantly reduce climate pollution, but we're also going to have to make investments to ensure that our communities are climate ready for the extreme weather events that are already baked in. But that's the real trick, isn't it? Because I, in his victory speech, the premier was talking about this as an endorsement of our agenda is an endorsement of building highways. He explicitly said building highways. Um, to my knowledge, a lot of the municipalities who are against 413 to begin with have not reneged on their <laughs> on their um, 
uh, let's say resentment about uh, the possibility of building that highway. But, you know, this, this seems to be the most essential thing. And you ran, of course, on the idea that uh, this is the last election where it can really take substantive action to stop uh, the full-blown climate crisis that's coming. And I guess the question is, I, I mean, can you, can you know, can, I guess, can one person make a difference in this circumstance? And you're talking about rallying community support, which I think a lot of people like the sound of that, but um, Doug Ford kind of built that hill to die on 413 in the election. And I think in his mind, uh, he won the battle. Yeah. So um, I would just say that the war's not over. If you want to use a, a war analogy, I tend to be a pretty peace oriented person, but, uh, but um, you know, you maybe you lose some battles here and there, but at the end of the day, you know, um, we got to keep our eye on the prize, which is really, you know, a, a livable future and a stable climate and a strong uh, economy uh, in the emerging markets of the, of the mm. new climate economy. So I think it's the latter where I probably have the most opportunity to maybe influence government, um, you know, and, and so because I think Mr. Ford can be convinced, hopefully, that not to be actively hostile to um, uh, climate economy jobs. Um, he certainly has backtracked on his hostility to electric vehicle manufacturing because I think he's he's seen that market forces are you know overwhelming his opposition. So you know I think that's probably the one area where you know I can you know, hopefully influence government as much as possible. I think it's going to be harder on um, reducing transportation emissions. I mean, you know, I can't tell you how many people have said, well, if you're a car, you're definitely going to vote for the conservatives. <laughs> and if you're a person, you might want to consider voting for one of the alternatives. Right. And, and so we know that car dependent sprawl, um, you know, gasoline powered transportation, uh, is, is the largest source of climate pollution in the province. And if we have any hope of doing our part in, in, you know, crushing climate pollution, we have to address transportation emissions. And so, you know, that's probably the area where I have the strongest and biggest disagreement uh, with the current government. And so can one person make a difference Uh, on their own? I'd say probably unlikely, but uh, can one person make a difference mobilizing and being a part of a citizen's movement, uh, a people-powered movement to push back against the Ford government's you know, pro-sprawl agenda? Yeah, I think one person can make a difference being a part of that movement and amplifying their voices in the legislature. I mean, we did force the premier to back down on his initial proposals to open the Greenbelt for development. Mm-hmm. We got him to back down on the, you know, paving over the Duffins Creek wetland uh, with an Amazon warehouse. So, you know, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to work as hard as I can and work with people, uh, particularly who are opposed uh, to Highway 413. But I would say the sprawl agenda of the Ford government in general and, you know, um, all I can say is I'm just going to work as hard as I can uh, to, you know, push back and, and hopefully uh, prevent the premier from building the big highway that he wants. Maybe a quick answer on, on this to wrap up. Uh, do you want to get back to the legislature right away, do a summer session? Uh, or are you OK sort of taking a, a, 
taking a break this summer. <laughs> well, I do. I do have a big canoe trip planned uh, that I'm. I am hoping because I've already bought my train tickets to go way up to northwestern Ontario and really go further into the bush than than I usually would. Uh, and so I, I want to have my canoe trip. But uh, other than that, I'd be fine coming back to the legislature over the summer and, um, you know, doing the work that we need to do, uh, you know, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, I, you know, I've, I, I woke up Friday morning at 5 AM and did my first media interview at six and haven't had a day off since the election day. <laughs> so I'm, I'm more than eager to, to, to get to work and, whether that work is in the legislature or in the community, uh, happy to do both. All right. Well, uh, having done your media appearance on open sources, you get one step closer to your canoe trip, Mr. Schreiner. So <laughs> we, we appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us and, uh, and uh, congratulations again on re-election. Well, well, thanks, Adam. And as you know, I'm always happy to be on. And, um, and once again, just a quick uh, shout out of gratitude and thanks to people here in Guelph. And once again, that was, and still is, Guelph MPP, Mike Schreiner. Still green. Guelph is still green, which is, I know, how many of our listeners like it. Yeah, and that's Mike's, what, 100th appearance on the show. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely gets the jacket or whatever. We're not allowed to give. He gets a coffee mug, of course. <laughs> Gifts under have to be under 10 bucks. I'm pretty sure. Uh, yes. Uh, I think the head of programming is going to have a word with me. In the... <laughs> <laughs> assuming he even read that book they gave me. It's uh... Assu assuming he even listens to the show anymore. Who knows? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> that's never take a chance. Yeah, that's true. It's always when you, when you, you think you're, think you've gotten away with it. You don't or, mm. Uh, these metaphors are getting messed up. Uh, that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. And if you want to stay connected to us, you can go to our website at opensourcesguelph.com. You can find us at Facebook on Open Sources Newswire and at Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. If, like, if you would like to listen to this show again, you can download it from our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or get it through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me personally at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram. You can check out my news and politics site at GuelphPolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter. And for the fantastic array of shows that are on this station here, check out CFRU.ca slash shows. Yeah, and you can also listen to the director's cut version of our election night coverage because I only put like an hour and a half on, on the podcast feed. So, Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure you want to listen to all three hours. Anyway, stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another Open Sources, and we will see you then. <laughs>